as a priest, I have the privilege of being with people during some of life's most important moments. The birth of children, baptism, ordination, hospital visits, end of life, and of course, marriage. These days, priests play a peripheral role in the wedding industrial complex. (laughs) We often enter the selection process just after registry for cutlery (laughs) and right before the couple decides whether or not they're going to have the chicken dance in their their thing. (laughs) When we finally get together... The bridegroom and I have a series of counseling sessions that give the couple a few tools to help them in the road ahead. The sessions also help dissipate the overwhelming stress of gathering their best friends and weirdest family members together to watch them make one of the most important decisions of their lives. The combination of stress, excitement, and family together at a wedding makes a pressure cooker that often brings out the worst in people. (laughs) The cast of characters in this high-pressure drama is amazing. There's the wedding planner, who's at best comforting and invisible. At worst, A power-hungry, attention-starved drill sergeant. (laughs) Happens a lot. They're the cousins, the the young ones who sneak too many drinks, and the weird, distant relations who somehow miraculously end up speaking to every single person at the party, despite the fact that the bride and groom sat them like as far away from everybody as possible. (laughs) And then, they're the bridesmaids. Poor bridesmaids. It seems like an honor, but that honor is dubious at best. Often bridesmaids have to buy their own dresses, dresses that are designed to make someone else look good. The fabric ranges from wallpaper to shower curtains. Nobody looks comfortable in these things. But it's not the bridesmaid's job to be comfortable. Their job is to support the bride. Not everybody is up to that task. Many a bridesmaid has been tossed under the bus of the marital highway. But weddings make drama. Today, Jesus tells us one such drama, a wedding story, a story about bridesmaids, about ancient bridesmaids. To understand this story, we're going to need a little historical context. In the typical American wedding, the high point comes when the couple, two children of God, of any orientation or gender, kisses at the end of the service as a sign that they are now officially married. It's legal. In ancient Palestine... The high point of a wedding was when the groom escorted the bride from her father's house to his house. Like in our culture, 
Bridesmaids of Jesus' time had specific roles to fill. They were lamp holders, carriers of the ancient flashlights. Remember, in ancient culture, there were, there were no street lights. As an aside, do you know where the first electric street lights in the world were? Wabash, Indiana. <laughs> Wes went to Wabash, that's why I remember that. <laughs> in a dark, hilly desert or chaparral, it was important to have some light. You could get really hurt without it. So the bridesmaids were important, but they were important in how they helped the wedding. Five of the girls in this story are not helping. Their oil has gone out, so they do what people do. They panic. (laughs) A wedding needs focus on the bride and groom and no distractions. These five wise girls who have extra oil get that. They see where this bridesmaid burnout is headed. Luckily, they send the potentially show-hogging girls off to look for some oil. They get them out of the way. When I was in my mid-twenties, a good friend from high school got married in a small town in New Jersey where his fiancée was from. Naturally, all of our friends from high school went to this wedding. This was the first wedding in our friend group. We were all just a few years out of undergrad. Most of us were still struggling to find our places in our careers, and our friend James was trying to make it in New York City as a photographer. But it was not going well. He was going through some depression and drinking a lot. The night of this wedding, James got an early start. He drank at lunch. He drank as we got dressed. He drank before the ceremony. And by the time of the reception, James was in bad shape. You've all seen this, likely. In this drunken state, James felt inspired to get photos of the wedding. So he stumbled around the entire reception with his camera to his face, taking pictures. And this all came to a head during the first dance. (laughs) Imagine the scene. A large dance floor in the middle of a room with a few hundred people. The music starts. The young bride and groom walk out into the center of the floor, looking beautiful, amazing, gliding. And just as they begin to dance, they're joined by a man in a disheveled suit with a camera to his face, (laughs) (laughs) who walks directly up to them. In hopes of capturing the perfect shot, James moves within inches of the couple's faces. (laughs) And then he falls into an orbit around them as they dance. (laughs) Oh, man. It was amazing. Fortunately, the dance came close to the edge of the dance floor, and our friends were able to slide James away without distracting much of the dance. Those friends asked James to help him, help them look for a fictitious item that the groom supposedly needed. And shortly after they arrived in a hotel room away from the reception, James passed out on a bed, and the wedding continued smoothly. Like the five wise bridesmaids, those friends had 
dismantled a wedding bomb. So what's the point? What does this have to do with Jesus and the God love life? What does it have to do with us in our daily lives? It is a question of preparedness. It's about being ready for the party. Poor James was not ready to be part of that wedding. He was not able to be supportive or even just be a passive celebrant. Jesus is calling us to the kingdom, calling us to be part of God's fiesta. This is the party to which everyone is invited. It's not just a little shindig. It is the coming of God, the time of justice, the community of healing. Living into God's kingdom means that we care for one another deeply. We heal the sick, feed the hungry, clothe the poor. If we're going to be part of God's party, God's kingdom, we have to be ready. It's like a medical student. A medical student might want to help people, but until they've had their training, they are not ready. Like the medical student, we have to learn if we want to prepare. We have to practice. We can't be drunk. We can't be distracted. We also can't be burnt out. 28% of Americans feel overworked all of the time. 70% wish they had a different job. Like the servant from last week, we have to be ready and able to serve. We have to attend to our burnout. Two weeks ago, we used cooking as an example of the God love life. Cooking well comes from experience. It comes from knowing what works and what doesn't. It comes from messing up. There's a line from a song called Great Escape that says, wisdom builds upon mistakes. That's what we do when we prepare. We build upon mistakes. We become wise. In her book, Becoming Wise, Krista Tippett talks about this relationship between preparedness and wisdom. She says, wisdom leads to a spiritual humility that is not about getting small, Not about debasing oneself, but about approaching everything and everyone else with a readiness to see goodness and to be surprised. Readiness to see goodness. I love that. That is exactly what this passage is about, being ready to celebrate the wedding, being ready to see the goodness of God and others. Some of us feel ready for that goodness right now. But we are likely ready because we have learned from our mistakes. It is no coincidence that some girls in this story had extra oil. Those girls or someone in their family or some friend or some neighbor knew how much oil they needed. Somebody learned the hard way what it takes to avoid burnout. Burnout, mistakes, feeling overwhelmed, being unprepared are all normal parts of life. 
We can all learn from those hard times and prepare for the path ahead. My friend James, that I was talking about from the wedding, James is now a sought-after photographer living in NYC. His photographs regularly appear in top magazines around the world. He has a lovely wife and a beautiful daughter, and he is sober. James is celebrating the party to which God has called him. He is ready to embrace it. The bridesmaids from this story, the ones who miss it, they will never let that happen again. They will be ready. They will be hopeful and prepared for the next wedding. But remember, remember, the wedding is not about the bridesmaids. It's about the couple. In Matthew's parable, this is an eschatological vision of the time in which Jesus comes to gather creation, the bride, into his father's house. Rather than a vision of waste and destruction, Matthew's parable describes a celebration, a celebration that requires preparation. I love this bit from Amos. Did you guys catch it early on? It's pretty intimidating. (laughs) Why do you want the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord, this divine fiesta, is not just a good time. It demands full participation in God's healing and justice. You have to give of yourself, and that need will come fast. The people of Amos' time didn't want that. They were looking out for number one. They were happy, rejoicing their successes while others suffered. Amos knows that God's kingdom will be a game changer. Justice rolling down like waters. This is not just a stream. This this term that is used here is like a flash flood. It's like a microburst. Were you guys around for that? You know how serious it is. Those of us who have been through those events know how they clear everything in their path. They require our immediate response. Why do you want the day of the Lord? Because you need the water. You need the way cleared. Because you have been shut out of the party or because you have seen others shut out of the party. We long for the day of the Lord because we know what it is to feel apart from God's love. And we long for change. We're ready for the party now. We are ready for justice. We are ready for God. Amen. Amen.